Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter podcast with me, Claire Pay. This is the podcast that talks about why mothers matter and the things that matter to mothers. And today we're talking about something that does really matter to um, at least a few mothers. And uh, we don't really know how many are out there because it's something that people don't talk about. It's secondary infertility, uh, which you'll know if you looked at the title <laughs> of the podcast, Um it's it's very difficult to find anything about this, really. People, it's such a private issue for reasons that we discuss in the podcast that people are very reluctant to talk about it. Um, if you're someone who has struggled with uh, infertility and hasn't had a baby at all, then I, I don't know if you'll you'll find it, um, you'll be shouting, oh, well, at least you've got one at both of us. But for those who haven't been able to have the number of children they hoped for, for whatever reason. Um, I hope this is a podcast that puts a few words into maybe how you're feeling, or um, at least if someone else has gone through that. And and one thing I always find on, uh, I don't know, on, on made up stories is there's usually, you know, a happy ending and they do get pregnant at the end um, so that you know the outcome and you're not constantly waiting for one of us to say, oh yes, well, I am actually pregnant. Uh, I did, uh, are we have been lucky enough to have two children. I was hoping we would have, well, we were both hoping we would have three, my husband and I, and that never happened. And my guest has got one daughter and has been desperately hoping to have another one. And that's the situation we're in. So, uh, you know, there's not going to be a trigger at the end that says, oh, and we're all pregnant with triplets. Um, so it's a podcast which really, uh, we just sort of unpack the emotion around it. Uh, I'm not sure we... There's not really a solution as such, but it explains the, the uh, oh, I hate the word journey, but the uh, things that my guest has been through. She's talking anonymously. Uh, I'm calling her Kate, but that's not her name. Um, and how she's uh, struggling and working uh, to try to have another baby. Uh, so it's really just a sort of unpacking of our feelings. And we discuss a bit about how... Uh, difficult it is to know what to say. I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's a, an uplifting podcast, but it's it's just raw emotion with without necessarily any answers. Well, I hope you, you find it worthwhile listening. Kate, thank you so much for joining me to uh, talk about such a, a tricky topic today. And it's something that people don't really talk about. So, um, so thank you. Oh, no, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, no, I agree. It's um, it's a subject that doesn't get talked about very much, but it feels uh, really important that this subject gets talked about and that um, people are able to share and feel able to share their feelings about it. Thank you. Well, it's going to be a slightly different podcast because it's something that I've struggled with a lot over the years as well. So it's going to be more of a sort of um, we're in it together um, type setup. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you mind telling us a bit about your current family situation? Yes. Yeah, so um, I have a three-year-old daughter who was conceived um, naturally and very easily. I always knew that I wanted um, you know, more than one child, perhaps two or three. Um, when she was 18 months old, we started trying for a second. Um, at that time, I was uh, sort of not not far gone past 37 years old. Um, and I naively thought that it would be um, easy and happen in a similar fashion. Um, after um, kind of six, eight months of trying, I went to the GP as per kind of guidance um, at, at my age, and they ran some standard hormone uh, blood tests, which I thought would come back absolutely fine. And it was more just I was just kind of following the kind of protocol to see um, to see if there was anything wrong, but fully expected them to come back fine. And the blood test came back and some of my hormones showed uh, that my FSH, which is the follicle stimulating hormone, so it's kind of the um, pedal on the gas, as it were, to produce an egg every month, was quite high. Um, so that meant that my brain was kind of releasing a lot of this hormone to try and uh, get an egg every month. And while that didn't mean that I was 
perimenopausal or menopausal, it did mean that, you know, my, that it was an indicator that perhaps my egg reserves weren't great. Um, and they also take another hormone uh, level called AMH, um, uh, which kind of looks at your egg reserve or it's an indicator of how many eggs you have left. And it was slightly on the low side. And I think had I not got those that that sort of slightly concerning result, I probably would have just carried on trying naturally. Um, but uh, given that and in consultation with the GP, we decided to go and talk to a fertility consultant, um, which we did. And uh, they suggested just keep trying naturally for a year and then showed us some kind of frightening statistics about what happens if you haven't conceived naturally at that age within a year, which was, you know, your chances drop to 5%. Um, so we, we waited and we thought, yeah, no point jumping into any kind of facility treatment. Um, and then after the year, uh, nothing had still happened. So we decided to go down um, the IVF route, um, which initially I was quite hopeful about. However, um, as, as each round progressed and the reality of um, kind of going through IVF and the actual kind of success rates, really, I mean, it's more likely not to work than, than work. And I think, um, you know, it's it, the financial implications with each cycle that goes by. Um, so in total, we've done nine IVF rounds, which we've self-funded. Um, and many of those rounds were cancelled just because I wasn't producing any follicles which may contain eggs um, or not enough to warrant going um, through the full process. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of us really. And, um, you know, there's I don't lose hope. I still feel like I'm only just in my 40s. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a, a sort of bit of a roller coaster from going through I can conceive naturally and easily to goodness me maybe maybe this won't happen yeah it's um well thank you for sharing that it's so difficult isn't it it's such a, a mental battle as much as anything else because it's just it's just res relentless you know there's no time when you're not um at some point in your cycle or at some point trying to relax and not think about it and you can't relax and not think about it it's just impossible um and, and with those um because we, we didn't go through IVF but with those uh cycles is I understand there's a lot of preparation in terms of you know hormone injection or whatever what do you have to do for each cycle yeah so um each cycle depending on what protocol you are on so there's kind of different ways that you can do it but the, the the protocol that I was on that started on kind of day two of my cycle where you would start injecting um with follicle stimulating hormones so it's it's to try and uh assist your body where obviously your pituitary gland is, is releasing so much hormones which are impacting on your ovaries and then you're giving your body extra of this hormone to try and produce kind of multiple eggs really the more eggs you produce um obviously the more uh the more likely chance of success so um there's normally between sort of 10 days and, and two weeks of injecting and scans so um kind of internal scans and monitoring and taking bloods to monitor your hormones until they there's a kind of point where you're in an optimum window to potentially collect eggs and then you go in for a surgical procedure, um, either under general anaesthetic or sedation, where they go in and collect eggs from the ovaries. But not all follicles will contain an egg. And some of those follicles will be the right size or too small or may not contain a mature egg. Um, and then there's this awful kind of two weeks after where so you, you sort of come round from your egg collection and of sedation and they tell, tell you how many eggs they've collected. Um, and then you get this phone call the next day to tell you how many eggs have fertilised. And at each part, you expect to drop off. So they, they only expect, say, 70 or 80% of eggs to fertilise. 
And then of those, they only expect uh, one in three or four eggs to actually make a, a, a blastocyst, which is um, what they're trying to grow for five days in a lab. So you get these updates, which are just, I mean, yeah, it's very difficult uh, to think about anything else during that time. You're waiting for this phone call, really. Um, and, yes, yeah, so you get the call from the embryology lab to say, you know, on day three to say how many you've got that are growing. And then on day five, if you if you are lucky enough to have a blastocyst, then you have to go in that day and they transfer it back to your uterus. And I think for me, the difficulty was we never had many eggs. So on some rounds, I only had one egg. Um, so the chances of that one egg making it to day five. And I think it, it's just that you go through so much. And the, the, the second part as well is you're taking all these other hormones to get your body. It's all synthetic. So they completely take over your cycle. So you start taking synthetic um, progesterone, which I really struggled with. It has all kinds of side effects. Um, I, I said to the nurse once, like, you know, I just it's just so awful and should yes we call them little pellets of doom um these kind of you know because you just feel so depressed and on top of that you're going through this process of having all of these um you know this roller coaster and at the end of it you might not even have anything uh, to put back so it's it's really difficult there's a lot of effort that what felt like not a lot of um reinforcement and the reinforcement was quite intermittent. And I think that's what keeps you going. And um, most people that I know take a break between cycles. So once you, if you have a blastocyst transferred after those five days, they've collected an egg. So it'd be cycle day, say 21, they would put it back. Um, and then you wait 10 days and you're supposed to do a pregnancy test. I, I was always keen to do that test and go straight into the next cycle two days later. Um, mm. Most people try and take a, a break between that negative pregnancy test and maybe take a month or two to start. But I just felt that time was really, yeah, running away with me. And it's quite, it's quite addictive because you get this intermittent reinforcement so mm. one cycle, for example, I had one egg, which made one top quality blastocyst. Um, and you think, OK, OK, well, you know that my chances yeah. are terrible. But look, this is this has happened. Um, and then another cycle, I got seven eggs and we didn't even make one top quality blastocyst. So there's no like consistent pattern and there's no predictability. And I think that's the hard thing It's like, you know, you just don't know um, and nobody can tell you. Like it, it's mm. as the consultants would say, intercycle variability. <laughs> oh dear! Do you have to? Do you go to a hospital, a normal hospital, for the treatment? Are you? Are yeah, you in? I went the, to a fertility clinic. Unit? Yeah, in mm. in London because we were self funding. I chose um, a clinic which specialised in low ovarian reserve, which was um, effectively what my. Um, diagnosis was and interestingly I was given quite good statistics to start with when they looked at the fact that I'd had a live birth as they kind of call it and um, the fact that actually I was still only 38 at the time of going to the clinic and seeking help so actually my stats looked quite good um, so I felt quite hopeful but as each cycle progressed um, the indicators that really IVF I should have good a good prognosis or relatively good um diminished and they realize that actually I just don't I don't produce enough eggs so if you only produce one or two eggs the statistics for a live kind of birth at the end of it were 5.6 percent oh. so yeah it was, so we often you know out of those nine cycles we abandoned quite a few because you have to just weigh up the financial, you know, implications of going for a surgical procedure, which is obviously the most expensive part of the treatment. Um, and you have to weigh up and think, if I'm only going to get one or two eggs and that's my chance of a baby at the end of it, do we, do we gamble or do we say, let's try again, let's, let's forfeit this one and try again mm. next time? Um, but really oh, difficult golly. decisions to make, I think, and difficult decisions to make 
relatively on the not on the spot but within a, you know you can't you have to make that decision quite quickly um and I did struggle with that um and mm. sometimes feeling like you've made the wrong decision like what if that was the one <laughs> oh, oh oh it just it just messes with your head so much it's um and then there's a yeah the financial implications on top of it all because you're still paying for something that where you're no further mm. forwards apart and from I you know you've tried I suppose absolutely yeah and there's something you know I often felt it's really difficult because I obviously sat in a waiting room with lots of other kind of women it was a very busy and popular clinic and I it, it kind of that whole thing about secondary infertility as well there was part of me thinking I have got a child and people mm. constantly telling me you should just be, you know, be lucky for what you've got. Like, and that sort of reflecting back of like, some of these women don't have a, any children and they desperately want a baby and they'd be happy with a, one baby probably. And it's really, mm. it's really, really complex. I think that, that kind of issue about, yeah, how do you validate those feelings of what you want, but also kind of, yeah, mm. sort of dealing with those um, comments really. Yes. So I think the secondary um, infertility is really tricky from that point of view, because also you, you know, the clock is always ticking from from however old the first one is. And your child is, you know, three years plus nine months is the next, you know, is the sibling. It's always, I don't know if you count like that, you know, you hear some of the, their children are 18 months and and four years old. You say, oh, that was two and a half years. That was, <laughs> you know, that uh, there's always a yeah there's the time is always passing with it. I mean obviously with this first one it is but you have your age gap coming in and you'll start to think oh you know there's you'll just be happy for anything really but ideally you would have liked you know two years or three years or something um so it's really difficult to mix the sort of sense of um gratitude for what you've got with a sense of loss for what you don't have yet uh, and you know having one child you know how wonderful it is so you yeah you want to do it all again <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely and there's definitely a feeling of um um I suppose wishing that I'd t not taken it for granted as much even though I'm sure I didn't take it for granted and I I didn't wish the time away but I don't feel I savored it in a way I certainly didn't you know my first pregnancy I didn't you know, I, I just assumed that I would be doing it again at some point. So I just, yeah, I, I, I suppose, yeah, just didn't, didn't kind of grasp onto those moments. And I'm sure that's the case, you know, even if people aren't trying for a second, I'm sure everybody looks back and thinks, oh, I wish I'd kind of um, spent more time focusing on this or that. But yeah, so it was really, it's really difficult. And that balance, I felt like, I was missing out on so much precious time with the child I did have to try and get this second child. Mm. And it's when do the scales, I suppose, tip as well in terms of, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm, there is a cost to this, you know, mm. as well. Yes, but then, and then you meet people, though, who have gone through IVF, you know, and have two children as a result, even if there's an age gap, and you think, oh, just uh you know keep trying keep trying it's a uh, it's it's very difficult to to balance the two up and as a, as you say with your daughter already you want to enjoy your time with her but it's slightly marred by thinking is this you know my last time through you know the endings are even worse because you think is this the last time I'm gonna finish preschool or start school or or whatever um I mean we were in a similar situation in that my daughter came along lovely and quickly, really nice and quickly. Um, and then, um, cause we were already sort of 34 when we got married. So, you know, we left it a bit and then we started trying and then she came along, but I, I have to say, I've always tended towards the pessimistic side. So I've never, <laughs> never assumed I'd have any more. And I always wanted, uh, would have liked three children. I'm the youngest of three. My husband's the youngest of three. Uh, and then we never really stopped trying in between. We just sort of thought we'd see what happened. Um, 
And there's once or twice, you know, I thought, oh, I'm feeling nauseous and all this. It's the only time, you know, with women trying to get pregnant, it's the only time you're thinking, oh, good, I feel really ill. This could be a really (laughs) really good sign. Oh, I feel nauseous. Lovely. Um, And then, yeah, and then nothing happened, nothing happened. And so then we did go to the doctor and he referred us to clinics that had been two years then I think uh well my daughter was two our daughter's two and went along and it was so difficult because you're back I was back in well we'd moved from London to Reading but in a sort of maternity suite with pregnant women waiting to get scanned and you're there for a scan having been in a scanning situation before where you had a baby you're then there for a scan seeing what's going wrong and, and what's not happening um and uh yeah, well, this you know, it's it's very difficult to sort of continue the story because it's everything really triggers. But but um, they then saw a follicle turning up, said, "Oh, that might be, you know, you've got some chances there." <laughs> and so then I went back. Um, I had to go back in three weeks' time or so, and I was doing pregnancy tests, and it was negative. It's just the most depressing thing in the world is a negative pregnancy test I hated it I couldn't stand it I hated it and actually these COVID tests still give me trouble (laughs) because they look exactly like a pregnancy test and you know my son's 12 now and I still I can't stand it it's it I can't unassociate them with negative pregnancy tests and to be saying oh it's negative that's good it's really tricky because it's a COVID yes. test. You think, oh, good, it's negative. <laughs> and you think, just let's have a positive test of something here. Um, but, yeah, so we were lucky. So I was sort of late. And when when I went back, they said, oh, I can't see anything in here. There's, you know, you haven't had your period yet. And then they said, oh, we think that might be something. And then I was sent off for a pregnancy test. And I was, I was pregnant. And that was just amazing. So mm. I was very... Um, lucky and sort of blessed and grateful with that um and that and that was joyful and then our son was born and then he was ill for a while very ill for a while and and uh, but now he's better um but then I always wanted three and you know and and when I was trying we were trying for a second I know a friend of mine said oh a friend of hers had gone was pregnant with a third went for a 20-week scan and very sadly there wasn't wasn't a heartbeat um and this friend of mine said, oh, it's a shame they would have been a lovely family with three children. And I thought, oh, three, you know, she's lucky to have two. I mean, it's obviously desperately sad about the baby, but but there's something in your head that you think, you know, people would say you're lucky to have one, that you actually have your mind set. And there's there's always a little person who's not there. That's the, yeah. you know, the family's not, it doesn't feel quite complete because it's, you know, you're you're slightly missing someone. Um and so then, yeah, so then we carried on trying. Then my husband was very ill for ages and uh, he got Crohn's and he was on all sorts of drugs for that. And I don't know if that that made a difference, um, but we didn't want to go down the IVF route because we had to. And and I thought I won't, you know, um, spin, spin the roulette wheel again and uh, we're lucky with what we've got. But then, you know, still I'm, you know, 150 now and <laughs> still would have at any time in the last, 10 years say taken another baby if one had turned up I would have thought this is great so you it never really it's probably not very encouraging for you but it never you never stop wanting the other child yeah and I've spoken to um other uh women who similarly conceived naturally with a first and just assumed a second would kind of come along and um didn't go down the IVF route and it, it didn't happen. And, and they said, you know, that while the rawness of the feeling kind of fades, it doesn't, it doesn't go ever go away. Like it doesn't, yeah. you can't, yeah, you sort of learn to live with it in a way, uh, rather than it going. It's just that the, yes. it, you know, the very, the very uh, raw kind of triggers, the day to day triggers sort of um, numb a bit, but the feeling mm. is still there. Um Yes. What what things do you find difficult in sort of everyday life? What are the triggers for you? Um, I think I'm at an age where um, lots of people, well, most most of my, I suppose, uh, peer group or people my age have gone on to have their second and some their third. Um, so I do find being around um, pregnant people sometimes 
difficult um, just because it, it brings up those that sadness for me. And I think the thing is, when you've got a, a sort of, you know, preschool child, you can't get away from it. You, you know, you're in the mm. playground, you have to go to groups. It's there and it's there all the time. And I think, um, you know, when I've thought about that kind of, you know, I'm in this life now, there isn't an alternative life. There isn't a kind of, if I don't have children, then... I'm gonna I'm gonna travel the world or like no I'm I'm gonna be tied to the school holidays (laughs) this is this is my life and I think it's that you know I don't know I guess just thinking about what I'd foreseen as my family um and that I suppose reflection back that other people can have that and why can't I have that and and I know the world doesn't work like that and Mm. you know really lucky to have what I've got but there's this sort of nagging voice that sometimes go but why can't I have that and I think Mm. the sense of loss for my daughter as well um that uh desire to give her a sibling and seeing other siblings um particularly you know in that age gap where they are able to play together so even if I had another child now the age gap is is you know she starts school in September so it's going to be bigger I know when she's older people say oh it doesn't matter so much but I think just it's just that um seeing siblings play and seeing them together and I think I really wanted her to have that and I think I feel a sense of um you know, it's not rational, and I've ha- I have talked to my partner about this because he 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 would stop IVF and just be happy with what we've got, and um, I think that's quite interesting because he's got a close relationship with his sibling, but you know he's like, we should just be happy. Um, we've got a happy, healthy child, and I think he would. While it would be lovely to have a second, I don't think it would irk him so much to stop either I think he'd be much more accepting um but it's that idea of when it's totally rational but when she is older and I am not here anymore for some reason I feel really responsible that she wouldn't have somebody else there even though I know that's completely irrational because lots of siblings don't get on or all, all kinds of things might happen but there's something that it just this desire of wanting to not leave her alone. I don't really know where that comes from, but it's quite a strong sense of, um, you know, I don't I don't want to leave you in this world as one. Mm. And, and it's funny because I've talked to friends who have one child and are very happy with one child. And they're like, you know, I just don't they don't understand that at all. And, you know that's not that is that's what I mean it's not really a rational that's not really what I think will happen but it's an emotional fear that comes from somewhere within me um yeah it's strange it is, it is difficult I, I'm so conscious of um the issues that I would never ever ask anyone if they're planning to have children when there is a situation where they might be trying you know so if you have a yeah. sort of 20 year old you might say would you like children when you're older um but someone who people who've got together or married or something, I would never, I'd never ask them because I and someone with one child, I would never ask them if they were planning to have another one because I'm so conscious to, of how difficult it can be and that, you know, it's not just some people talk as though it's oh yeah well we were, you know people even say yeah we were hoping for a June birthday and that worked out really well for us. And you say oh for goodness sake you know they uh, they, they can sort of micromanage it down to that level. Um, it's it's something that I. I'm much more in the world of it's it's a difficult thing. It's very emotional. It's not something you you talk about um, other than, no, I can't think of a way of sort of starting the, the conversation unless someone sort of shows their cards, you know, saying, yeah. I wouldn't even say, yeah. are you happy with, with one? You know, you, yeah. I, I don't know how you say it. <laughs> yeah, I would never ask unless somebody kind of shared. I just think, and it's I found it really interesting, the amount of people that have made comments like oh you should hurry up and have another one otherwise the age gap's getting too big or when are you when are you having another one I I just Mm. I just find it 
Wow. Like, yeah, kind of, why would you ask that? I mean, I think people just must have no idea of um, the emotional impact of infertility to be able to ask Mm. those questions. Um, And I don't think it comes from a place of malice, but I think it comes from a place of ignorance, really, and just not, not, not understanding and not knowing. Mm. It is a very private thing. I know um, people uh, near here, our neighbours, they've moved in and um, and they had a child who was sort of three months or so or five months old. And they were saying, show me around the house and say, oh, and this, and we're hoping to have another one. So this will be a bedroom. And then it didn't happen for five years. And I was sort of conscious that they'd set a clock going and they and she has just had another one. But I never told anyone sort of timings or you know, we're hope, we're hoping because it's so private. You don't really want people to know. I mean, obviously, I'm telling everyone on the podcast, but you don't really want to know people uh, people to know that you're trying or something because it almost puts more pressure on. Um, yeah, so every month, and people are looking to see if your tummy's got a bit bigger or something. Yeah, and I found that with the IVF, and it's been um, you know, I, I hid it for quite a while from family and employer my employer and um but because I was going through so many cycles and back to back and it um I had to commute to the clinic so there was you know it would take out a whole day really um I got to the point where I had to share that and I found it really hard because you're not only going through those emotions that roller coaster of emotions yourself you're then having to update everybody else. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, people are like, I, a colleague even said to me um, the other day, any news? And I just, oh. you know, it's that, it's just that sort of, um, yeah, or, yeah, I find that really difficult, um, you know, particularly when it's sort of managing other people's emotions through it as well. And I think, you know, we even got to a place in our kind of relationship, myself and my partner, where we had to get into a bit of a rhythm of managing these kind of roller coasters and um, when to talk about it and when not to talk about it. But because it just, we were just so, there were certain points that the anxiety levels were so high. And, but it just, yeah, that kind of, it is, it is very um, private and just sort of trying, you know, having to, tell everybody about that I really struggled you know mm. I don't want I didn't really want to share with my managers or supervisors or whoever um but I had to really I felt I had to and then and then I felt like there was a constant update <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, yes, yeah. so if you're feeling a bit sort of fat one day, then people might start, start yeah. looking at it. Oh, I wonder, I wonder uh, what's going on there. Um, it, it, yeah, it's it's really different. I think the, the hard, well, one of the really hard things is the relentless nature of it, the, the monthly cycle. If you, I don't know, you had a sort of six months on, six months off, you'd, it wouldn't constantly be on yeah. your mind, but you're always, particularly when you're sort of in the natural, well, particularly for you, actually, but even naturally trying yeah. to conceive, you're always at a certain date in your cycle. And and then sometimes you'd be late and then it's so hard to manage the emotions. Every time you go to the toilet, you think, oh, could this be it? Could this be it? And then it's really disappointing when it isn't. And, yeah. uh, and your brain is already, even before you're uh, you know, you know whether you're pregnant or not. You've worked things out. You know we can use this buggy again, and this will be the school day. And you, as I said, you count everything sort of nine plus now plus nine months. So now we're March, aren't we? Because we're June, and, and yeah. you you always know what's nine months ahead and how that would you know. So it's really really difficult to switch off. Um, you can't just relax. You know, just let it happen. And I don't see there's any way of doing that really. No, and everybody's got some story about somebody who relaxed or went on holiday, and yeah, it yes. happened. Um, yeah, know. and that trying naturally, it's just it was it's just such a it's it's very cyclic, isn't it? Going through that, and it's like knowing where you are in your cycle every sort of month. And um, I go through phases. I must have spent hundreds and hundreds of pounds on pregnancy tests, and I'd go through phases of sort of testing early 
because the uncertainty was almost worse than the mm. knowing. But then I would do these tests and I'd be holding them up to the light and going, you know, and then I used to have to say to myself, just because you really want something doesn't, it doesn't, you can't imagine it up. But it was like my brain was so desiring for something that I was just, you know, like I would spend ages just re-holding up tests and just seeing if there was the faintest line. And I'd just, yeah, I'd drive myself nuts. Um, and then mm. I'd go three months of, of not testing um, because I couldn't bear the getting a negative test. Um, mm. Yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting kind of place to be and very, very preoccupying. I found that like, you know, in terms of being psychologically present for my child as well, really difficult to, to kind of be present and to focus my brain was really focusing on on this other desire and she did pick up on that a lot um mm. and would often yeah kind of act out or you know she stuffed babies up her tummy and her up her top and say things like oh this, I, I, i've got a baby in my tummy oh no it's fallen out and um oh. she 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 and i think oh. she just would intuitively pick up on the emotions I were I was going through at the time um and yeah it, it's it's really I think I think I don't know how you how you can sort of balance that really uh and that's what I mean about you know people say oh just relax don't think about it but I don't I don't know how you can do that or I don't know how you no. can do that well <laughs> No, I really, I have no no answers for that. As I said, time when as time goes by, you you have fewer triggers. Um, like there's fewer people getting pregnant around you. Oh, there was a few years of Christmas cards where everyone had added a child to their family, and I was getting to the point where I couldn't, you know, I get a Christmas card, think, oh, what news is there going to be in here? Oh, we've just had a you know surprise announcement, and you think, uh, oh golly, there's just so many, so many pregnancies going on around you when you're you're trying for another one, and and people just you know, suddenly pop up with with another baby. You think, gosh, that's so easy for you, you know. And it's, I, I, I even find, you know, pregnancy announcements now even difficult, even though I'm sort of quite old. Um, it, it's just something about it. And then I, I get on with my life. And uh, I mean, I am I have to say that I, I am, in, you know, incredibly lucky to have two, I have a boy and a girl. I keep thinking, well, I have a boy and a girl, so that's, that's perfect. Um, that there's always just a little, not always, but for many years, there was just something that you, it's something unresolved, I think, yeah. in the situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also when you're trying naturally, it's difficult. A friend of mine was, um, uh, she was trying for quite a few years and, and you know, with her husband, you having to plan things and if he was going to be away over crucial times, she'd get really cross because she's like, oh, this, yeah. every month matters, doesn't it? It's really, yes. uh, yeah. And I think that yeah. has an impact on your, you know, your relationship over over time as well. That, um, and I don't know. I think there is that as it's sort of very biological drive in females that's there. And I, yeah, it's it, it, it those hormones do, do take over at times. I find that kind of you know absolute desire to have a have another baby. Um, yes. And it's made me, I suppose, um, I don't know, I've spent a lot of time reflecting and I've come to more of a place of acceptance, but I think I was quite uh, angry at times that I had uh, spent my, you know, late 20s, early 30s focusing on my career and because that's what, you know, I was kind of in a generation where, my my parents were um you know you can support yourself you need to be independent woman and get a good career and go to university and you know study hard and do something good but that came at a cost with a, a huge amount of um years uh, mm. sort of in various kind of um educational uh trainings and just getting to a place where I was financially stable um and with the changing I guess the, the changing dating world as well um and everything 
you know, I think those kind of values about kind of um, settling down and, you know, that that has shifted. Um, and so I did spend a lot of time thinking, why didn't I? Why didn't I start sooner? Why didn't I? Why wasn't I more uh, focused on that? But I think I've come to, I have come to a sort of place of acceptance and just having to, I suppose, be kind to that part of myself and say, I made the choices I made because they were right for me at the time. And mm. yes, I've got to live with those consequences. But, you know, you don't have a magic ball into the future. You can't control everything. Um, no, no. Um, how old were you when you met your partner then? How long were you together for, um, before you so had your daughter? I was, I was about uh, late 20s, I'd say. Mm. Um, so we conceived my daughter when I was 36. So there was a lot of time where we were living in different places because I, I was doing um, some sort of training and... I needed to move around quite a bit and um, so there just wasn't an opportunity to kind of settle really so we were doing a long distance relationship Um, yeah and after that I really wanted to get my career established and um, the other time just went (laughs) Um, yeah well I mean hopefully the the IVF will work at some point and the years you spent working and training has put you in a position to pay for IVF so yes well absolutely you see yeah. It that way <laughs> yeah yeah and my partner's even older so he's um in his mid-40s and similarly I think he got himself established um in a kind of job and yeah I think it is just I've learned very much to try not to control things that are out of my control and in some ways I kind of reflect on that as a a positive um, something I can take away that I definitely didn't have before going through this, which is you don't have control over everything and that's okay. And you sort of learn to manage the feelings, but it is it has made me a much more patient person. Um, and yeah, I've learned to sit with hopeful and hopelessness in a way um, <laughs> and, and sit with both of those emotions and know that they'll be amplified or turned down at different different points but um it's definitely I think you know I've learned some things through it so I try and take that and think okay well that's built on my resilience and I'll take that forward and I've and it's it's made me a more patient person just generally Mm. I try and uh feed on different bits of psychology and the idea with happiness that happiness um uh, always sort of tends towards an average after a while that you you know you're never uh, total happiness can't last forever and also it says that the total uh, the worst things are not always as bad as you think they're going to be eventually you know there's bad yeah. to start with and I sometimes think you know but it's very hard to apply with children because you know I am I really like having two children I, you know it's an awful thing to to say it is worth it is worth longing for that's that's the thing yeah, and yeah. I'm sure if I'd had a, a third I wouldn't be thinking well you know I'm averagely happy it's not made much difference to my life um I, and I think your your happiness does go down to a, a you know a certain level you sort of muscle on through life and uh, and things are fine but it's just some things don't help you know there's some logic you don't yeah. think well you know if you'd had two it would have been you know you would have been annoyed at them or would have been inconvenient that it's just it is really worth longing for that's that's difficult yeah absolutely and um it's sort of interestingly I I found in terms of the the that those emotions and um going through the fertility treatment I was often dished out I'd say bad news I'd often have a scan like more often than not and they'd be like yeah you need to see the duty doctor (laughs) um which is is never good news (laughs) after a scan and um I found it really interesting because I think uh I would be offered these these bits of information which I know were to reassure me or give me hope um but I found very frustrating because it was the polar opposite of what I was actually sort of feeling and the reality of the situation so I you know say things like um so quite often 
my lining, um, like uterine lining, wouldn't um, thicken. Um, so in IVF, they like to get it to a certain thickness. I mean, who knows what happens naturally, but this is just, you know, the way it is. And it, it, it didn't, didn't like doing that. And I'd get these like, oh, you know, I've had a scan and my lining's not thick and I've got to wait to see the doctor. And then as I'd be leaving the room, they'd say, I did know somebody once who got pregnant on a five millimeter mm-hmm. lining. And I thought, I know why you're trying to, I know why you're saying that. You're trying to give me some hope leaving a situation that is quite hopeless but mm. it's still really hopeless. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting yeah. the way trying to make people feel better, and I, and that's human nature, isn't it? You don't want you you want to make feel, people feel better, but actually, I think there's also something in acknowledging that the situation and and kind of just naming how it is, um, mm. and that's yeah, that's I think that's that's more difficult to do because it's nobody wants to say it. Like nobody wants to say this is a really bad situation. It's probably not going to result in anything good here. But, you know, nobody wants to sort of acknowledge that. But, yeah, so I sort of found found that interesting going through the process as well. And, again, it didn't come from a place of malice. It came from trying to make people feel better and trying to give people hope. Um, But, yeah, it was just an an observation given Mm. the amount of bad news that I had to – go through and it wasn't it wasn't any one you know person in particular either it was a it was a it was a pattern of behavior and it was I think to try and make people feel better Mm. what is there anything that people do say that you do find helpful I think um just I mean just when people are going uh through infertility just I much prefer it when people said do you know what this is just this is just really sad and hard um instead of Mm. going like offering up um (laughs) those miracle stories and just sitting with the like yeah this is it's really tough um Mm. and again not going to solutions or what ifs or fixing um I, I, I um, a friend, a very close friend of mine was going through fertility treatment at going through at the same time and um uh she managed to fall pregnant naturally of um you know after having some IVF and um sadly kind of miscarried um oh. and uh, you know I said to her when I saw her I'm just re- you know I'm really sorry this is happening to you it's really really awful and she said you know thank you for just saying that and not saying but you can get pregnant <laughs> which is what people like to say at the end of these things to try and make you feel better so they chuck Mm. in a bit of like (laughs) but here's the hope and I think that needs to be matched if you're feeling really hopeless that can feel really mismatched when somebody says that Mm. I think you have to you have to time that right you can't say it when somebody's in the midst of of sadness I think just acknowledging it um yeah Yes, I mean, hope is a is a, a funny thing. You know, hope by referring to other people's experiences mm. is useless in <laughs> for for yourself because you know someone got pregnant, but most people haven't. You know, or there is a lot of uh, infertility out there, and then once you get past that, there's a load of miscarriages out there, and then yeah. you have, you know, you have stillbirth. So there's just misery all around. All around, there's just you know that that. Um, it doesn't, I, I don't know. I mean, there are probably situations where giving an example of someone else who's tried really hard and they've succeeded is positive. You know, if you failed your exams, well, this person, they went and they worked really hard. But in the whole area of getting pregnant, it makes no difference. It's not like you're going to, I don't know, get pregnant better if someone's girded your loins and said, come on, you can do this. It's not, yeah. I, I don't see really the point of hope in <laughs> Yeah, I think you just face each month for the sort of grueling experience it is, and then when when it's over, you know, and after your menopause or whatever, you get on with life. And I think, but then there's there's some accounts I I follow on Instagram, and there's a lady on there who's said, you know, I had one child twenty years ago, and I've never stopped wishing for another one. So, um, 
I think it's just something you carry with you. You know, it's like a yeah. little bag you carry with you. And I guess the bag gets lighter as time gets by and it goes by and you appreciate other things in life. But while you're going through it, it's really difficult. to. As I said, the mental thing is very difficult to get your head in the right space. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge. I'd say I can take the, you know, in terms of fertility treatment, I'd take the drugs and the the mood swings and the scans and everything over the, the kind of psychological um, aspect mm. of, yeah, infertility, because it's just, it's just so, it's so difficult. And I think, like you say, it's that thing of there is nothing you can do. And, it, it, you know, in some respects, there's nothing fertility consultants can do either. I mean, you can, it's either going to work or it's not. And there's, there's not a lot of control that anybody has over that it's got to be the right egg with the right sperm with the right number of chromosomes and that's just down to luck <laughs> mm, effectively mm. you can put in all the scaffolds um but yeah I, I mean I don't buy into the particularly you know the lifestyle you know, I look I, I was grateful that my you know my clinic and um consultants were very grounded and down to earth you know I couldn't have done initially they were like oh stop doing like the nurses were like don't do spinning or you know stop this and stop that and don't drink caffeine and and after I'm like well if this is going to be my life I can't stop everything so I'm just Mm. gonna live my life because actually I don't think those things make a big enough difference I don't think they make any difference (laughs) I think I think people try and control other things as a way of um you know, trying to control the outcome, but I don't really think you've got much control mm. over it, to be honest. I think it's either going to be no, or it's not. No, exactly. And I think it's just something that's just sad, really. There's no sort of, well, on the bright side. Um, yeah. I don't know what, you know, you don't have a baby, but, you know, it's there's no sort of on the bright side. You just sort of learn to live with the, that sort of sadness and uh, and keep trying. You know, you don't think, oh, you know, life is miserable. I'm not going to do anything. You just do your best and acknowledge the sadness and, and carry on. And I suppose it makes um, us more compassionate for other people going through the situation. You, you can really, you know, I've never really spoken to anyone about it with other than you now, um, even my husband, because because we were sort of trying naturally, there was no, he didn't know what was going on when, really. And he, you know, and I didn't want, because he, he would have liked another child as well. But I didn't want to sort of say, oh, you know, well, well let's see how this goes this month and so on. We just sort of keep it fairly private and secret and, and just yeah. see what turns up. Yeah. Do you think he went through a kind of grieving process in terms of um, I don't know. I think because at the sort of time it might have been happening, he was being so ill. We were just busy yeah. trying to keep him alive. And then because our son had, he got bronchiolitis, uh, the second one, okay. um, second child. So he was, he nearly died, you know, very early on. So there's always been the sort of, well, you know, actually, thank goodness we've got, we've got him and, uh, you know, not to, not to worry so much about the third. And you think with all that in place, I'd be thinking, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it's still something that, uh, you know, has slightly bothered me. And I, as I said, I'm fine now, but it slightly triggers if I see someone with three children. I really like being around people with two children. Um, but I, I, he's a bit more sort of um, laid back, I think, than I am and just takes things in his stride. I think he, he's just sort of happy with the situation. Um, and I guess, as you say, he's not at the school gate quite so often. He's not bumping into pregnant friends all the time and, and that sort of thing. So I think he's been fine. I have to ask him. I have to ask him. But it's, it, again, it's something that we I sort of open the window every now and then and show him a bit of what's going on and then, you know, say, oh, you know, it's sad that this has happened. And actually with the children, because they're now 12 and 15, um, I've spoken with them because they would say, oh, could we have another sibling, please? We'd love to have a younger sibling. And uh, my son, because they, they're quite different, so they don't play together very much anymore. And my son would have loved a younger sibling, and he would have been a really good brother and all that sort of thing. And at one point they say, could you just try? Could you just try? And so then I had to say, well, look, it's, you know, we've been trying without going into details because <laughs> you know what your children think about it. Um but it's not happening. And just say, you know, when you grow up, hopefully if you want children, you'll have children. It doesn't always happen. And just sort of putting that in their mind. I don't know if that's a good thing to put in their mind or not, but just to be aware of it. 
Um, and then even my parents, I found out when I was sort of 16, one of my friends had come to visit and I heard my mother saying in another room, I would have loved four children. I thought, well, you got, because I'm the third. I thought I never knew you would have liked another one. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just sort of mentioned a couple of things every now and then. Just recently they said, oh, well, we thought we were pregnant a year before you came along. And we thought, oh, no, that'd be really inconvenient. And then went to the doctor and she wasn't pregnant. And they both said on the way home, oh, I'm a bit disappointed about that, actually. Because uh, the first two came along really quickly. Um and, they, and so then I think they did try and then eventually I came along. So I'm sort of grateful that those previous ones hadn't come along because I wouldn't be here. But it, it's just something that isn't really spoken about. And and I guess you, you sort of carry it forward in, into the future and think about it. But it's a, a private because there's so many other terrible things happen to people and you think yeah. about all that. But then it doesn't diminish your own slight sadness at, at the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is being, or infertility generally is being talked about more. I, well, I, I think the whole issue about just female, like, you know, general health and um, is being, yeah, more openly kind of talked about. And, I, you know, I, I, the more people I talk to, the more common it is or the more mm. people, like, you know, thinking about, I wouldn't necessarily have known had I not spoken about what I was going through, that they were in a similar situation um, because you you don't necessarily talk about it. So I think there is also something about, you know, how do we be more, yeah, how do we talk about it and be more vulnerable and and, and open? Because I think there probably is a lot of people uh, out there that, that, yeah, have gone through something similar. Mm. Well, that's a that's a good point to end, I think, Kate. Well, thank you so yeah. much for being willing to talk. And as I said, I've I sort of put messages out, said, would anyone be prepared to talk mm. about this? And just no one, even people who are blogging about it, who are on Instagram, who are very they they do it all anonymously and I absolutely understand why. But it is a difficult thing to to talk about, I think, and to open up. But hopefully um anyone listening to the podcast will feel, I don't know, just <laughs> not necessarily encouraged but understood I think yeah yeah people know what it's like to go through it and um you know there are other you're not alone there are other people out there who sort of feel the same things yeah absolutely and thank you so much for having me on Well, I hope you uh, found that podcast worthwhile listening to. If you're someone who hasn't um, struggled with secondary infertility, who's been able to have the number of children you'd hoped for, um, then hopefully it'll help you understand a bit what others might be going through. Um, and if you you have um, sadly sort of experienced this, hopefully it just helps to know there are there are other people out there and probably more than we would than we know. Um, I'd just like to say something on the Christian side of this because uh, I'm a Christian and infertility is a, is a massive topic in the Bible. Almost all, all the main women in the Bible seem to have struggled with infertility. And um, like Elizabeth, the mother of John, who's Jesus's uh, cousin, obviously Mary famously didn't struggle with infertility at all, quite the reverse. But um Quite and Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, you know, and there's a lot of references to sort of desperate sadness in the Bible at the uh, the mothers who weren't well, the women who weren't able to have children. Um, quite often we are hearing about them because they're a good news situation in which they got uh, pregnant at you know 103 and they were fine. Um, it's very difficult as a Christian because Christians sometimes say you know just trust God, and uh, there's always a story about you know someone who prayed and the baby came along and people have prayed for them for years and then the babies came along. Um, I don't know if we we don't hear maybe the stories of the the people who were prayed for for years and the baby didn't come along. I mean I know there's a there's a few of us, um, and as a Christian we we sort of bring God into this and think about what's His will and so on and so forth and try to make make the most of it and live within the family we've got. Um, I remember a Christian friend saying when she was trying for a second, you know, well, I'm just trying to see that my family is complete with one. She then went on to have another two but, uh, after a little while. Um, 
So it is, it's a very difficult situation, but it, I think, as we were saying in the podcast, it's just something to avoid sort of trite comments on if you pray and relax and accept God, you know, God's will for your life, blah, blah, blah. It's very difficult because, you know, how do you do that in practice? Do you just stop trying? Do you not do IVF or whatever? It's something that I think each Christian has to work out for themselves. And I think this obviously happens in the non-Christian world as well. People will, will, um, in the you know best spirit of things try to encourage you by saying you know just relax or what I hate just relax that really annoys me but you know I'm sure it'll happen and uh, yeah it's just one of those things that's unresolved that you you have to learn to deal with so that's that. Um, just mentioning uh, other podcasts, um, which are better than mine. <laughs> um, as good as it gets, I was slightly dismissive of this last time around, but I've actually listened to one now and I really, really enjoyed it. It's with Bev Turner and Marina Fogel, um, who are wife and ex-wife of Olympic rowers. Uh, and they've, you know, they've had their own sadnesses and difficulties in life. Although they did say in this one episode I listened to, which is about marriage, they said, oh, well, you know, you get married and then your children come along. I thought, oh, well, you know, again, again, they don't necessarily come along. Um, and it's just seen as one of those sort of throwaway lines. Anyway, I know I'm hypersensitive to it and uh, I, people are allowed to assume and hope that they are going to have children without <laughs> upsetting everyone else. So, yeah, I'd recommend as good as it gets. And I'm really still enjoying Ask Lisa um, about various parenting problems. I've just listened to a really good one about fathers and daughters. So I'd recommend those. So thank you very much for listening today. I am um, occasionally, uh, when I'm releasing new episodes on Mother's Matter podcast, which is Instagram and Facebook, please do feel, feel free to message me on mothersmatter at outlook.com. And particularly if this is a topic that you want to, you know, just say anything about or uh, say you've experienced it or, or whatever, if you have any ideas, um, it's mothersmatter at outlook.com. And my name is Claire pay and i'll be back with another podcast soon bye